following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Over my lifetime, the idea of a dream car has changed. Uh, Chris just asked me as I was getting some water, he goes, okay, so what's your dream car? And I was like, well, this is my practical dream car. This is where I'm at now. So just a Toyota Tacoma, the TRD, though. I want the top of the line. I want all the bells and whistles, and I would be very happy with that. Now, if you go, well, what would be a fun dream car? I would love like a Shelby GT, you know, one of the classic old ones. Chris jumped in with a DeLorean. He said, as a kid of the 80s, I got to go with the DeLorean. I think that's brilliant. And we all have this idea of going, that would be great. Did anyone not have an answer to that question? See, I thought that. That's, we all kind of look and go, this would be fun. You know, and now we've got all kinds of options. You could go classic and want something that's been rebuilt and restored. Or you could look forward and go, you know, I want something electric that like the new F-150 that's electric apparently to me became a lot more appealing when part of their advertising was, it'll power your home for three days. And you know, after February, I thought, not a bad deal. But we all have this idea of like, man, what's that dream car? Maybe it's something that can tow all the fun stuff, the boat, the trailer, whatever it is. Maybe it's something that's fast, that's like, oh, just let the wind be in my hair. Or maybe it's something that reminds you of a friend or a family member. But I want you to think about that car. And I want you to think about what happens. You, you roll off the lot in the car, whatever it is. And man, you are just having a blast. You've got the windows rolled down because it's November. So it's finally, you know, 75 degrees. And you're just driving around. You feel the wind. You're having a good time. You've got the radio cranked. And you've gone a couple days. And now you go, okay, I need to go get some fuel. You're just pumped, so you get there, you fill her up, you start it, you get down the road a little bit, and it's starting to make some noise. You get a little further down the road, that noise is becoming a whole lot more. And then you think to yourself, what's going on? It finally stops, you call the company, they tow it, they look at it, and they go, yeah, so this is, this is a gas car, and you put diesel in it. That's bad news, especially if you have an electric car. Congratulations, how that happened. But that's what happens a lot of times as we look at a life of discipleship, of looking and saying, Lord, who do you call me to be? The Christian life is we look at this idea and we say, well, I want to live like that. I want to do what Jesus told me to do. I want to you know, achieve the things he's called me to achieve, whatever it is. And what we do is we get to the pump as we feel low and we grab the wrong handle and we go, I'm going to fill up with what I think is right. And so we start trying to fill up our discipleship with good works. And we go, okay, if only I do a few more things. If only I keep going a little harder. If I can just serve a few more people, well then... 
then I'll make it and I'll get going. Or maybe it's looking and saying, listen, I really got to know and I got to understand. And so you're diving into the books and you've bought all kinds of commentaries. You learn Greek and Hebrew. You understand what the meaning of the non-reciprocity of the genus myostaticum means. That is like my top level of Latin that I remember from seminary. I know it deals with the Trinity. Outside of that, even I'm not sure. But it sounds smart, right? But you go for it. And you go, hey, that's, I want to know all this stuff. And you go, if only I know a little bit more, then, then I can make it. The problem is if we look and say good works, knowledge, if we take those and say that's the fuel, we're going to find ourselves sputtering out then on life support, and then just coming to a dead stop in the middle of the road. As we look at a life of discipleship, as we look at where we're going, we have to say there is something foundational that fuels our life. A car is just a brilliant piece of metal and engineering without the right fuel. It's a great discussion piece that you can push down the road. But what really makes it come alive is the right kind of fuel. And it's easy for us to get lost as we want to grow in our faith, as we want to build that up, to say the only way I can do that is by doing more. The way I do that is by gaining it through my works, through my study, through my understanding. But as we talked last week, we said a disciple is a person who trusts the promises of Jesus and seeks to follow him. I want you to know good works and understanding of God are not bad. Those are very good things. And in fact, over the weeks from here, I'm going to be saying, listen, you should be doing these things. But I want to make sure that we stop and slow down to say, as we talk about discipleship, about walking together in this Christian life, it begins with the promises of Jesus. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how pure you are. It's not about how holy you are. Because you want to know what the Bible says? There is no one righteous. Not even one. And so we look and we say, how then do we move on this journey? And the answer is we trust the promises of Jesus. Today in our reading from 2 Corinthians, it tells us God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. 
is what we call justification. Justification is that God sends his son to go to the cross and do what we could not do. Because to be saved, we needed the perfect sacrifice. And so God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. He hung all of our sin upon the shoulders of his son so that we could be a part of the family. So that those things that separated us from God could be taken and atoned for. And that's the paradox of justification. Paradox being two similar or two ideas that seem so opposed to each other, but somehow it's true. And the paradox we find in justification is the one who knew no sin became sin. The paradox we find is that we who knew sin, who have lived in sin, have now become saints because of what Jesus has done for us. And right now, it seems like everything is just on full blast. And you can't go anywhere without someone preaching at you. I mean, you're doing it right now, so thank you. But we have people saying, well, you have to live this way or else. You have to live this way or else. Here's what I'm starting to see, and it's not new, it's very old, but in the Christian faith you have very conservative Christians, you have very progressive Christians, and the loudest voices from those places are saying, listen, you must be morally upright, you must be pure, you must follow God in these ways, and if you don't, and I love this, they question your salvation. Could you possibly be saved if you are not holy, if you are not pure, you have to go back and go, well, is God at work? I don't know. And the funny thing is the people who disagree wholeheartedly with them the most is a more progressive brand of Christianity that would say, listen, if you're not doing enough social justice, if you're not affirming enough people, if you're not doing those things, well, how could you possibly be saved? And it infuriates me because the answer is you are saved. We answer these questions not from a question of am I saved, but from a place of saying, if I am saved. As I am saved. In that salvation, what is God calling me to do? And listen, he's going to call you to do things you don't want to do. He's going to call you and say, listen, I built you to live a certain way. I called you to be a certain person. I called you to that because as I created you, I created you for morality. I created you for an ethical way of life that loves me and how I created you. And you know what? He's going to challenge you in the opposite direction because he's going to say, listen, I created you to love justice and mercy. And if you're not doing that, that's what I created you to do. But when the question becomes, am I saved, our discipleship, our following of Jesus becomes something 
that comes from us and our power. That if only I'm a little bit better, then maybe God will love me. If only I'm a, I'm a little bit better, then it'll all be okay. If only, if only, if only. And let me stop you in that mindset to say, in the waters of baptism, the Lord said, I have drowned if only. I have drowned being better because in the waters of baptism, through the power of the cross, I have said, you are mine. A theological idea we talk about is simultaneously saint and sinner, which can get a little tricky because we go, okay, well, uh, if I still live and I'm still sinning, like, am I following God? What am I doing? And I have a good friend who the way he says it is we don't want to question the sainthood. You're not a sinner who sometimes happens to be a saint. You are a saint who is struggling with sin. Your sainthood is taken care of because he who knew no sin became sin for you. He who didn't understand what it meant to hate or to harm or to step out of line willingly walked to the cross. And so when we say the first step of discipleship is trusting the promises of Jesus. It is this weird paradox of justification because we say that that comes from outside of ourselves. I'll throw a little more Latin at you. Corum Deo, that is from God, absent ourselves. We would call this an alien righteousness not because it flew in on a ufo but because it is so separate from ourselves that when we look at trusting seeking and following i can give you a guarantee you're going to fail at seeking you're going to fail at following but what we don't do is then say oh no Am I a terrible person? No, we go, wow, Lord, I goof that. So instead of trying to be better, instead of trying to say, okay, Lord, um, then I have to do these things, instead we step back and we say, no, I go back to the promise. I go back to the justification of what Jesus did for me. Through a couple of different talks I've gotten to give over um, the past couple of months, um, Chelsea, in, as I was brainstorming with her some of these things, she brought to, to me this story um, of a woman named Bethany Bernard. Um, used to be Bethany Dillon. Some of you might know her name. She was a Christian recording, still is a Christian recording artist. Talented, talented singer and musician. Um, she married one of the Shanes of Shane and Shane. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm on board. And some of you are like, this is weird. What is this? Look up Shane and Shane. Great band. Look up Bethany Dillon. Great singer. But, so she marries this guy, Shane. Um, and they have three or four kids. And she's 
struggling deeply. She's lost a family member. And as she is then diagnosed with OCD. But her OCD shows itself by spiritual disciplines. That for her, this compulsive disorder she had was, have I read my Bible enough today? Have I spent enough time in prayer today? And if she hadn't, her fear was it was affecting the world around her. If she didn't do enough, that it was then going to change, that it was going to fall apart, that God would then punish her because she hadn't gotten it done. And what was brilliant was there was a group of people that came around her and a Christian counselor who walked with her through it. And in this article, which was so great, she goes, you know, I actually connected deeply with the story of Martin Luther, who would show up to confession, spend hours in confession, and walk out and feel pride saying, oh, look at how much I confessed, and immediately return to confession because of the pride he felt going to confession. The trap we fall into is we think the fuel we need comes from ourselves. And if only, like Bethany thought, if only we do a little bit more. If only we are a little bit more moral. If only we're a little bit more studied. If only we spend a little bit more time in prayer. So we trust the promises of Jesus and seek to follow him. Trust is always where we start. Why do we come together on a Sunday morning? Why did we read from Hebrews this morning to not give up meeting together? Why, when we were first trying to figure out COVID, and it, or it was, you know, negative 18 outside, we said, we're going to meet online. Why did we do that? Because we are a people that over and over again need to hear that Jesus still loves us. Why do we do confession and absolution every week? Because we all need to hear that Jesus still forgives us. For those of you who remember um, John Zock, who was one of our um, first, my first teammate here at Narrative, one of our first elders, um, who's now at seminary, one thing he would constantly remind me of, whether it was in staff meeting or while we were setting up on Sunday mornings, is he would look at me and he would say, yeah, it's the worship service, not because we're here to serve God, but because he's here to serve us. And when we talk about trusting the promises of Jesus, the reason we come together on Sunday mornings, the reason we have people here setting up and tearing down and building all this out, is not because when we do this in some random middle school cafeteria in the middle of Texas, that God looks and goes, ah, oh, yeah, my God battery, it's filling up. No, it's because we know for the rest of the week you're going to go out and be around people who need to hear and know the love of Jesus. We come together because we want you to continue trusting, seeking, and following throughout the week. And we believe that in worship together, God strengthens us and builds us for those things. It's in trusting that we find the why to seeking and following.
We don't find the why in seeking and following. The why is always in trusting. In fact, in 1 John, it says it very simply. We love because he first loved us. So part of what we have to do in this discipleship journey is to reset. To look and to say, Lord, I need your forgiveness that I've tried to fuel this with my own works, with my own study, with the own, my own good that I've tried to put into the world. But watch what happens when we slow down and we say, no, I do those things because of what Jesus did for me. I do those things not because I have to do them to earn his love, but he's given me his love. And there is a deeper power when the one who knew no sin, who became sin, when he gives it to us as opposed to us digging deeper into our own ways. My hope and my joy as we continue is that as we talk about all of this, you would know to the core of who you are that Jesus loves you and he forgives you, that the good news of the gospel is not about what you need to do, but about what Jesus did. That the gospel for us is not about what we're doing, it's about what he did and how that changes how we look at the world and say, the gospel cannot be absent my good works, my study, my knowledge, not because it fuels that, but because that fuel has to be spent somewhere. And my prayer is that as we work through this as a church, as we talk about it, as we dive into a book about it, that we will start asking the question, what have I been saved for? We stop looking and asking, am I saved? We go, boom, that's done. And we start looking and saying, if I'm saved, what does that mean for the rest of my life? And it's going to mean sometimes you go, Lord, I'm tired. I don't know what to do. And then we say we trust the promises of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you did what needed doing, that you made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that, Lord, as we look ahead and say, I want to be a disciple who trusts, seeks, and follows, that we remember trusting is the fuel, that, that, that trust in the promise and the justification that we are saved, that that is our identity, that that changes how we interact with the world. Lord, let us rest in that fact today. Amen.